Episode 151, Lauren Eckhart, CEO and founder of Burning Soul Press. But it's really, really important to have very specific boundaries, very specific expectations, and to make sure your values are fully aligned, not just with the first person you've connected with in the organization, but throughout the entire organization. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. To learn more about Lauren and Burning Soul Press, look for links in the show notes or you can go online at markgraven.com slash mistake 151. Thanks for listening and now on with the episode. All right. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven and our guest today is Lauren Eckhart. She is the CEO and founder of Burning Soul Press. An award-winning and best-selling author and ghostwriter, Lauren is passionate about helping impact-driven souls capture their life story in a book-led movement that changes lives. So there's a lot to talk about with uh, with the phrases and the name of the company there. That's really powerful. Um, Lauren founded Burning Soul Press in 2020 after working 12 years in the human resources field to work with aspiring authors and career authors uh, in pursuit of sharing powerful and deeply impactful stories and messages. So her website is uh, burningsoulpress.com. So Lauren, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mark. Thank you so much for having me on. So I'm excited to hear your story and we can talk about, um, you know, I think if people are listening and and they're thinking of, uh, they want to write a book, they wish they could write a book and they have questions about how we'll have a real informative um, conversation uh, about that. But first off, as we always do here, we like to hear stories about favorite mistakes. So Lauren, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Favorite mistake um, definitely goes back to when I first started the company. Actually, it happened pretty early on. I was connected with an incredible coaching organization with a very similar mission as what I set out to achieve. Um, it was an incredible one of those times when you meet someone and you're just like, oh, we, we just feel like, you know, we're in this together. It's it's a partnership. Yeah. And she still to this day remains one of my best friends, but she had a team that she was working with as well. And so we really thought that we were setting out to make a big impact in this world together. But what ended up happening is that someone else in the organization ended up taking the the reins of the organization. They were really excited about what we could bring in because the partnership was set up in such, such a way where we were able to help people bring their stories to life, which is my passion. And I loved having this group of people that, you know, were automatically being filtered into our programs. Mm-hmm. Um, but what ended up happening is that they took our program and made it part of their own to the point of where their people were selling my program. And, you know, in the very beginning, when you're starting your business, you're like, oh, this is great. It's like a built-in sales team. You know, everything's fantastic. It just seemed perfectly aligned. Um, 
But what ended up happening throughout that is that our program was falsely sold. Uh, different expectations were put on it than what we were training their people mm. to share and what would have been committed. Um, so it turned into something where I quickly learned the importance of integrity of intention, especially when you're partnering with someone where your name is all over <laughs> what's being yeah. produced, you know, as business owners, those partnerships, those collaborations, they just seem like gold sometimes for those reasons, but it's really, really important to have very specific boundaries, very specific expectations, and to make sure your values are fully aligned, not just with the first person you've connected with in the organization, but throughout the entire organization. So it was an early lesson, um, but it was one too that I've been able to use and think about and really consider uh, as we've had other opportunities open up mm -hmm. throughout the past year and a half. Yeah. So what? Um, so I'd be curious, Lauren, to hear a little bit more detail about like where where exactly was the disconnect? They were were they kind of overselling, yes. and then setting them up to be disappointed by what you and your team were then actually doing? Or tell tell us a little bit more about what that disconnect seems to be. Absolutely. So the person who took the reins was saying our program would help them essentially not just write their book, but publish their book, become a bestseller, sell 10,000 copies of their book, per month and Mark, you being an author, you know, that you cannot <laughs> you make those guarantees, yeah. um, especially when it wasn't something that we were helping people with, you know, we were focused strictly on, we are going to help you capture this book idea. But then we had people coming in going, okay, but publishing is a part of this. Right. And we were like, oh, that's a whole different ball game. Uh -huh. Well, I can become a bestseller through this. Right. Totally different <laughs> ball game. Yeah. Um, so it just became really murky and, you know, you have to have those hard conversations. Right. And I would turn to them and I would say, no, this is, this is what we are offering. Not, not these other things. I provided graphics. I provided, um, you know, the, the context to use and it still kept getting turned around and no matter what, no matter what you should be selling your own programs not counting on a different company to do so. That was something I, I learned. It seemed like a great deal to have it brought into theirs, but that is your work. That is wow. your property. Um, so I think it's easy sometimes, you know, especially when you're just starting out, you don't really see the impact of, of a lot of this. And, you know, you think, you think, it's collaborations are gold, but you really have to be careful and you have to own what you're putting out, you have to protect it. Like it's your child. And it was really good to learn that early on, because I feel like if it was a lesson learned later, there would have been a lot more at risk than what there was early on. Yeah. Uh, early mistakes are better than later mistakes Amen. or relatively small mistakes. Yes. If it helps us prevent big, bigger ones, um, you know, we'd rather have the small mistakes, but do you, do you think, was it, like misunderstandings because it, it seemed like you you've got you know different lines of, of service mm -hmm. right of helping somebody write helping somebody publish helping somebody promote did they 
somehow, to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume you explained it clearly and you gave him information. Was it misunderstanding or was it more of an integrity issue of we'll, we'll say, we'll overpromise, we'll, we'll, we'll say what it takes to get the sale and maybe they, they were getting a commission on that for that referral? Yes, it was. At first, I gave them the benefit of the doubt. And that's why I went back a few different times and said, this is what we're offering. This is the program. These are the specifics behind it. But it turned into because some other things came up and um, became very evident, even to the point where my friend I originally connected with, um, she ended up stepping back for those reasons. They were making promises without fulfilling them because they were very revenue generated versus impact driven. And I had connected with them because I really thought we were making a difference on the impact side, but it turned into where they were straight money. That was their focus. And that's the importance of the values, making sure those are aligned. We were very different in the end with that. So, I mean, and, and, and the little bit that I know about you and what I've seen on your website, it seems like what you're doing is a business, but it seems like it's a very mission-driven business. Very at a very deep level for you, and and it's probably disappointing to find that wasn't the case for them. It seems yes, a hundred percent. And you know, it's even when I'm working with clients, right? I mean, we have this discussion all the time. If you are more focused on how much money you're going to make from this book, and or the fact that you're you're finally an author and your name is on this book, if that's what you care about the most, we're not a good fit, right? There are there are 80 million other options out there for you, and we will support you in any of those. But the people we work with are truly those who want to make a difference with their with their message, with their stories. I said so yes to your question. That is yes. <laughs> So then, you know, moving forward as, as an entrepreneur and, and a business owner, did you hold to that then of, you know, you, you said earlier, you should be selling your own programs. Did you focus more on, on that capability then? Yeah, a hundred percent. We moved to where it was just all internal sales from here on out. We weren't relying on anyone else to try to sell our programs or, and we no longer will connect our offerings with someone else because we want to make sure that we have control over what's being said and what's being expressed. You know, and the other important part, even with the integrity and the values, it goes more to, um, really looking past how much you like somebody as a person and making sure that your businesses can truly work together, even to the point of, you know, if you have vendors that you're using or services that you're outsourcing, you can really like the person so much that you forget to evaluate whether or not your values are lined up, your expectations are lined up, you know, all of that, like this one situation has really shed light on all of those interactions because you're constantly working with different people, right? And different opportunities will continually present themselves. And I have a brand new light to shine on, on yeah. the, the yeah. ones we agree with. Well, your, your story, um, you know, there, there are layers to it. There's the, the mistake that, you know, you said, you or a couple of mistakes, you know, that were on on your part. One could have been that other company's mistake. Uh, you know, somebody could. I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to invite them to be a guest, but I can see someday where somebody tells a story that's along the lines of, "Well, at some point, I realized we were too focused on revenue at all costs, and that led to then 
delivery problems or margin problems or, you know, there are mistakes there for um, another episode. And, and then, like you said, looking at values and, and values just doesn't mean likability. Yes. Yes. I think that's important to know. Um, those are two different things to, to look at. And I mean, it's even with your, your friends, right? You might like your friends, but your values don't always, always align. And when you're entering into business ventures, especially when your name is at risk, it's so important to be protective of that and to not give that power over to someone else and lose control. And that's what happened during that time frame. And, you know, unfortunately, I feel like our name lost its value to probably about 200, 250 people in that oh, time. Gosh. Um, and, you know, for me, it's hard because I see that as 250 people that we could have very much helped. But, you know, even on the flip side, um, the person who took the reins on this, uh, this partnership, he he was at the point where he was almost forcing people into our part, part of the, the program. So then we would have people come in who were like, well, he told me I should write a book, but I don't really know what to write about. And I'm like, I mean, we can help you, but it's yeah. not going to be this authentic book, right? You have to, writing a book is hard. You know this, Mark. Yeah. It's hard. Um, it has to feel authentically you too. And it has to yeah. feel you know, like an inner motivation, not coming from someone else. And that was one of my first signs. And I was like, okay, this is definitely more what's going in his pocket versus what's actually going to help anyone else because they're not going to succeed. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And it looks like, you know, the books, you know, looking at at least, you know, representative books and covers, and they say, don't judge a book by the cover, but you can tell a lot about a book from a cover. It looks like you are helping people publish their stories. It seems like the, 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 the better starting point or what you had been used to is people coming to you and say, Lauren, I've got this story. I'm dying to tell. I don't know how to organize it. I just have to get it out. Right. Like that level of passion yes. yeah. was, was not there when it was just about, well, nope, here's another referral to Chang. And yeah. that's and harsh on my part, yeah. but you're spot on. I mean, there's a big difference in those people, right? The ones who are like, I, I just, I don't know how to do it, but I can't get this idea off my heart. I, I know I have to share it versus the, well, bestseller would look really great in my profile <laughs> on Instagram, you know? So I really want to be a bestseller author, but I don't know what to write about. It's going to be a little harder. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I want, to, want to talk about your your company and, and writing and marketing and, and, and things related to books. Um, but Boy, this term when you talk about it would look good to have this book labeled as a bestseller. Like, this seems like a very unregulated term. Like, I rarely see a book nowadays that is not described <laughs> as best-selling. It's like looking at, you know, um, you know, a, a product that claims to be, you know, craft or handmade, or like, you know, that uh, the boundaries of that are maybe unclear in certain products or certain industries. Um, I mean, like you know, to you, what should that phrase mean to be kind of like legitimately bestseller? Like we're not, we're not going to be New York times bestseller because if right. somebody hits that, they say that very specifically, mm-hmm. but what, what, what do you think? What should it's that very loose. It's it, loose. Yeah. it doesn't mean anymore. At least I feel like to the people who recognize that like you, like me, like others in the industry, it doesn't mean what it once used to mean. Um, 
number one bestseller these days for most people who use it freely are people who have scored number one bestseller in one specific category on Amazon. And it might've just been that for 30 seconds and one day <laughs> and that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, Amazon, you know, in some ways it's really fun being able to figure out this, but Amazon, it really works based off of categories and really niching down to very specific categories that your book still fits in. And even that some people end up messing with and manipulating in the wrong ways. But, um, you know, there are so many categories across Amazon and you can do your research with different programs like, uh, KDP, uh, or rocket publisher, publisher rocket, whatever it may be, who will help you identify those categories and tell you that it only takes eight book sales to reach number one in this category. Yeah. And that's also a need. So maybe it could be eight book sales in one day that got them to number one. So it doesn't really hold true anymore. But, you know, even New York Times um, bestseller, there's an article that came out, what was it, five years ago, really revealing yeah. the truth behind that and how um, a lot of it isn't truly based on book sales. There could have been an independent author who sold outsold everyone else on that list, but they weren't listed because they didn't meet the other requirements of the New York Times bestseller. Or there, there were, uh, you know, so in a way, mildly scandalous, um, you know, like mm-hmm. bulk corporate purchases yes. um, that don't really reflect end book buyer reader demand. And and I think haven't they modified the list where there's almost like an asterisk or something that sort of signifies that these might not have really been all retail one at a time sales. They might have. I stopped looking after that yeah. article was released. Yeah. <laughs> but the, you know, the was it the US to USA Today bestseller list? That's a great one to go off of. I feel like they really pull from the right, the right elements. But I don't know. I guess to me, I always question too. It, it all depends on the value that you put on your book release. One thing that we really try to focus on at Burning Soul Press is do you want your book to go to 500,000 people and it doesn't make a difference in their lives at all? Or do you want to go to one person who will be changed forever from your book? Like what truly matters to you? And some people it's the 500,000, right? Mm -hmm. And others, they're like, I just want one person to read it and know that it helped them. Yeah. And I think that's what people need to start focusing on. Um, I have talked to people before who have worked with book coaches or other companies and they were like, if I could do one thing differently, it would have been to put more heart and soul into this book. And all they did was guide me on how to take my work and put it into a book. Essentially. I'm like, it needs to be so much more than that because a book is around forever. Yeah. It lasts more than like any other tool, right? You could do a speech, you could have a video on YouTube, your book is going to outlast all of that. You want it to be something that feels authentically you, something that you're proud to have represent your time here in this world once you're gone. And people forget that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know it makes me wonder. I mean, I I think, I mean, I would guess that that bestseller label means more to the author than it does to book buyers, mm. I would guess. And, and look, you know, I've tweeted, I've shared on social media, I've had books hit number one in a category on Amazon there, you know, and, oh. and sure, I was, I was proud of that. It's not, it's not 
easy. It's an accomplishment, but I, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if, if, if people are buying a book because there's a little logo on the cover that stamped bestseller. Like, I mean, in, in your experience, people, why, why are people buying books? Like something's appealing to them at a deeper level than that probably. Yes. And that's why we try to have the outside of the book always reflect what's inside because it's truly that I always call it like the, the final letter letter that you're delivering to your ideal reader. What, what do you want that to reflect? What do you want them to walk away with when they've read your last page? Like the outside needs to reflect that as much as the inside does. So it, I mean, I'm sure you're the same way. I think a lot of us do it either even subconsciously, like we'll walk into a bookstore. I'm looking at all my bookshelves here, right? We walk into a bookstore and our eyes just immediately go to certain books for a reason. And you read the back. And if the back just emphasizes whatever you were feeling or confirms it, you're going to pick up that book and you're probably going to buy it. And so if we're, if we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover (laughs) and, you know, judging is bad, but it tells us, something. And, you know, I'm just, I would encourage people go uh, to burningsoilpress.com and, you know, looking at covers, you know, I see covers with, um, in most cases, a picture of the author, it seems, and, and something that seems like, you know, personal and revealing and compelling from that cover, it does seem like a very personal, authentic story. Yes, that's, oh, I love that it comes off like that because that's what we try to, to produce. Um, we want, we want it to feel like an extension of their heart and their soul when they're holding the books like that. It's so important. And, you know, Mark, it was just like what you were just saying about, you know, being excited about when your book has reached number one in different categories and how big of a accomplishment you know, those, those things are, and they are, and I did not mean to reduce any of that, Yeah, yeah. but yeah. we definitely want to what I try to focus on is the, um, the fulfillment. Do you feel fulfilled from that piece of it? Or do you feel fulfilled from some of the feedback you received from somebody? Who uh, your book? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the camp of, um, the, the, the most precious thing is the email or the conversation with somebody who's not only read and my books tend to be more, they're business books or they're, they're, they're more technical than they are like revealing personal you know, life stories, but the books, like either way, you want the book to have an impact. And when somebody says, I not only read it, but I put those methods to use and it was super helpful. That, that means more that that's, 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 that's really, I I think that's, that's for me impact and I get choked up over it. I'm stammering. I love that, but that's what you set out to do is to help someone with your book. And that's, what's being done. You're helping them. And it doesn't matter. Like you said, if it was just more business stuff, I just read a book uh, built to sell. I forget who the author Mm -hmm. is. That thing just completely transformed how I'm going to be approaching business in 2022. And it was a business book, but it impacted me big time. And I've been thinking about it constantly since. Yeah. So, I mean, it's across genres. Yeah. Well, and, and what, what, you know, with a podcast can impact people that same mm. way. So to the listener and you know, <laughs> hopefully the stories and ideas you're getting in, in these episodes, I, I know they're having an impact um, with people, but Lauren, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you know, for, somebody who is listening, who has a book idea and, and they don't know what to do. They, they would say, I'm, we've heard this, you know, from people, I'm not a writer. I don't have time. I don't know how to do it. Like, you know, coming to somebody like you who helps them 
self-publish. Like you know, the first, and that's that's different than you being their publisher necessarily. But this phrase self-publish to me seems it's it's a misnomer. Like I've self-published books, but it didn't mean I did it myself. Or that's yeah. almost what it implies. And I've hired and worked with people who were great partners. I'm curious what you think about that lingo. Is there a better phrase we should use? So we call it empowerment publishing. Uh, That's our belief behind it is because it's empowering the author to take the reins, to still own a hundred percent of their rights, to still own a hundred percent of their net royalties and have full control, but they're being empowered by other people. They choose to be on their team to help that book reach the masses so like you were saying, I mean, some people can do all of the self-publishing on their own. Y'all, that's time consuming and take <laughs> a huge range of skill sets to do it the right way. Um, you know, you want to have a great cover designer. You need an editor. Even editors who write books still need editors mm-hmm. <laughs> because we don't catch everything when we're the ones writing them. Um, you know, you need the book to look good inside. So interior formatting is very important. ISBNs, having your own, the whole thing. So like you said, take a full team um, to do it. And that's why we call it empowerment publishing. We want everyone to feel empowered by it. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great phrase. Um, you, you, you maintain control. Like mm-hmm. I wouldn't, this isn't as good of a phrase, self-control publishing. You maintain <laughs> self-control over the end product. We're working with a publisher now there may be things you, I've run into this and I've talked to other authors. The publisher may overrule you as the author on some element of uh, the book or the cover or the title or the pricing where with self empowerment publishing, you know, I, I, as the, the, the owner of the book, as the author maintain that creative control, that business control to me, that's a huge benefit. I totally agree. And I feel like more and more people are being open to that because I think one of the myths and why people still feel like they have to go with traditional publishing, for example, is that they are like, I just want to write my book. Mm -hmm. I don't want to market it. I don't want to do anything like that, Mm -hmm. but you still have to market it. You know, no one is going to sell your book better than the author. And even traditional publishers these days, especially, want you to have a marketing plan in place for your book. So no matter what, you're going to be, you know, you're going to be marketing your book. And then the other part, a lot of people are like, well, I don't have money to put forth towards editing and, you know, cover design. So I want the publisher to do it for me. Okay. So what you're doing, instead of saving up to do this yourself you're foregoing 85% of your net royalties for life. No matter what, you're paying somebody to publish your book. Right. A lot of people don't realize that. Yep, yep. there are trade-offs. Um, yeah. The, yeah the, the, you're right. The publisher will make that investment. It's sort of like an investor sprinkling money around to a lot of different companies. They don't really know which ones are going to hit big, if any. Yep. Yeah. Now, did, did I misspeak a little bit when I talk about the range of services that, that you provide? Do you not, if somebody really did want you to be quote unquote publisher, you, you don't do that. Is that right? I think I misspoke. Well, we, so we, it's funny, we do help people publish books, um, but we do focus more on that empowerment publishing piece. 
Um, however, if someone is just like, I want you guys to take care of it, like the, the editing, the cover design, all of that, I want to be under the burning soul press, uh, imprint because I believe in what you guys are doing. If it's the right fit for us, we'll take them on, but it's more of the empowerment publishing model. Um, but we'll, we'll take our expertise and just guide them like crazy. And then we do things with like PR and making sure they know how to market versus them having to do all of the research themselves. So we are constantly educating our authors and trying to do monthly brainstorming sessions with them, even post-publishing, because we just believe in their message and we want it out into the world. Okay. Well, that's a very good explanation. I feel less bad than about <laughs> whether I misrepresented. Mark, I expect you to know everything about our company <laughs> in the short should, time of talking. <laughs> I should be, see, as, as host, I should be asking questions more than um, statements. But so here, here's a question. So um, if somebody is questioning their writing ability, even with having editors and proofreaders and a coach, if they're questioning the amount of time involved, like how do you guide someone through the question of like, when do I need a coach or the different services you provide versus having a ghostwriter, which I know is something else that, that you do. How, how do you help someone work through what's right for them? So the one I, I call it a myth is no one's a bad writer. Mm-hmm. I know that can be argued, but if you talk, speak to other people, if you're a communicator of any sort, you can write. It's just the method of writing your story. The other thing of letting go of is that perfection. I'm not great with grammar either. And I really don't care that I'm not, you know, it's, I write the way I speak and I've got the Southern boondocks right behind me. You hear it when I get super excited, especially about things. Um, I, to me, none of that matters. If you have a very important message story that needs to be shared, you have an incredible business framework that you know will transform people's business or the, how, how they're operating. You're just letting something that doesn't even matter stand in your way of making an impact in this world. And that to me is one of the most heartbreaking things in the world because it really comes from a, a lack of confidence in some area that, and all of that can be overcome. That's a mindset thing. And that's one of the first things that makes our coaching different is I really work on the mindset and the belief, uh, before we even start in on the work, because you have to, you can't be putting excuses in your way because nothing gets done when you put excuses (laughs) in your way Mm -hmm. and you can be able to believe in yourself. So yeah. You know, people who can write, I really feel like it's anyone, but there are other people who simply, they truly just don't want to be the one that write it for whatever reason. They don't have the energy. They don't want to make time in their schedule to do it. And all of that is fine. If you don't really want to write, but you have an incredible uh, idea to still share. To me, it doesn't matter how you get it, how you go about getting that message out. And that's where ghostwriters come in at. Yeah. Now a ghostwriter will then take your idea and fully, you know, flesh it out. So you don't have to, they're doing the work, but they're interviewing you to get your, your ideas, your concepts solid. Um, they're also interviewing you and talking to you so they can learn your voice because a good ghostwriter should be able to make the pages sound as though if you were recording the audiobook for it with your voice, it sounds naturally like you, like a ghostwriter should be able to convey your voice perfectly with your ideas. Um, so that's the difference. A book coach will actually help someone who is who wants to write, write the book, whereas a ghostwriter will come in and write the book for someone else. 
we are actually, <clears throat> I'm booked out for two years on ghostwriting projects. So we are launching this year a ghostwriting certification program for anyone who has thought about becoming a ghostwriter. So that way I can present them with our framework, how we go about doing it, how we find the clients that are perfectly aligned with us and how to launch their own business. And then they will become the ghostwriters that we're able to refer to the people who need them quicker than two years down the road. Um, so I'm really excited about that because it's becoming one of those industries where it's becoming, you know, higher demand and not a lot of ghostwriters out there. And, and there's probably other help you can provide if somebody says, okay, I'm going to do the writing. I'm going to do the first pass. There's all kinds of questions around structure of the book, sequencing of a book, um, even down, let's say to storytelling. <laughs> I mean, like if, if, if somebody's got, so I, as an engineer, like I, I could use coaching <laughs> on this. Um, I fall in the trap of a lot of engineers, myself included, will get into unnecessary detail. And I'm trying not to do that in the course of telling this little story. But, you know, so you, you can help people kind of either get to the core of it or structure the story in a way where the same facts written differently could have a different impact on, on the reader. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, a little closer to developmental editing, for example, or full critiques. And that's exactly what we provide when we're coaching. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting balance, right? Sometimes it's adding too many details, but then sometimes it's not actually getting down into the layers enough at the same time. So it's really finding that balance and, you know, making sure that their main theme is being fully supported by what's being presented. You know, anytime anyone starts out wanting to write a book, the first thing you need to have clarity on is what is your theme? What is your ultimate message? Because that is truly your guiding light throughout. And it's, it's breaking it apart from there, right? And figuring out what supports that and what might fall outside of that and should not be included. So the, the editing process then of like the paragraphs that you think are well-written, but maybe don't need to be there. That's hard, right? Super As an hard. author, you need someone to help support you in making those tough decisions of, you know, maybe that could become a blog post, but it doesn't belong <laughs> in, in this part of the book. Right? Exactly. I, my, my big rule for all of my authors, and they know this because I like constantly repeat it, do not hit the delete button ever. Uh. <laughs> if you are chopping anything, even if it's one sentence, always have a document with excess, right? Oh. And you can move mm -hmm. that into that because it might not fit your story, but any amount of time that you've spent already crafting those ideas or crafting those sentences, don't throw them away, like save them for blog posts or save them for maybe something else you write someday. But words are gold. We spent all these times like crafting it, you know, and you do not want to hit the delete button. It's funny because we're so quick to hit the delete button. But if our computer doesn't save our, our work for any reason whatsoever, we freak out, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we're so quick to hit the delete button. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there are writing mistakes. And I think some of the technology, like composition typing mistakes where the technology has gotten better of, you know, I think back in the late 2000s, like the bane of my existence was Microsoft Word crashing <laughs> and not autosaving quickly enough. And like I actually wrote my last book for what it's worth in Google Docs. Mm. 
which I felt more confident about its, you know, continual saving and word has probably gotten better. I can't remember the last time word crashed on me, but, um, but then there's this question of collaboration mm. of having a developmental editor who was working with me. And I don't know, it was just easier to, to give access to the work instead of emailing files back and forth. To me, that's a mistake now, this idea of emailing it back and forth. It gets messy. I mean, it's hard to keep track of which one's the newest um, document. And then, you know, from a publishing perspective, like when we've gone to publish after we've done editing rounds, it's scary because you want to make sure it is indeed the most recent and clean version. So I, I totally agree. I think Google Docs or Google Docs are they're great for that reason. Yeah. And, and there's um, similar writing tools that are more specifically for book writing. Yeah. Like Scrivener is one of our favorites. Mm -hmm. We use that a lot. Um, it really helps with the organization of your ideas. So yeah, there, and I feel like there are more and more that are continually being developed and rolled out, um, which is great. It's great to have more resources that we can tap into because all of our minds work so differently as writers. And so what may appeal to one person doesn't appeal to the other. And you really have to stay connected to what's inspiring you on a creative front. And if something isn't, if you feel like you're just dreading entering that program each day, yeah. mm -hmm. you can't have that. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, our guest um, today is Lauren Eckhart. The company is Burning Soul Press. And uh, one other thing I was going to ask you about the range of services that you offer, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching versus group coaching. There's, there's different services, different price ranges, I imagine, for the types of help and support. Yeah. We have our Soul Rider Society, which is really for any author, whether experienced or just dipping their toe in the water. And it's a great opportunity to find your voice, to brainstorm with other authors, other writers, like saying, hey, this is what I'm stuck in, or maybe I'm having a hard time being disciplined in my writing, to get ideas, to get that support. We also do monthly um, book club reads related to writing books or author business books. So no matter what, like our, our, promise truly is one month in the program, you're going to walk away a better author than when you began. Like there's no doubt <laughs> because we're continually doing that education. We also do monthly soul story, um, sharing where it's truly just your chance to put your voice behind your words and to find that confidence with sharing pieces of your story with other people. So that's our main group. And then we also have our luminary mentorship, which has access to the Soul Rider Society, but it also is has more one-on-one -on -one opportunities with me and then others on my Burning Soul Press team, where we will provide feedback to your, your manuscript as you're working on it. So you can feel confident you're getting that guidance. You can ask us questions anytime, even if you just want mentorship for how do I choose the right publishing path or how do I make the biggest impact? Or maybe I want to launch a podcast. <laughs> how do I go about doing that? So I can get my voice and my message out there. We help you with all of that in the luminary mentorship, which is really great to have that flexibility. Well, so, you know, people can go again, check out the website, burningsoulpress.com. Um, really appreciate what you've shared here today. And you know, I guess, you know, my final thought for what it's worth is, you know, writing can be a very solitary process and that's mm -hmm. the nature of it and that's going to happen but having uh coaches and help and support in different ways um i found you know completely invaluable so back to that idea of uh, self-publishing i couldn't do it alone 
I appreciate the people that I've worked with, and I'm, I'm sure the people who have worked with you, Lauren, uh, appreciate it as well. Once you got past through the bumpy patch that you <laughs> shared with us earlier. So thank you for being willing to share some of your reflections on that and how you got past it. It was all learning. Everything in life is a learning opportunity, right? As long as you learn from it and you don't keep repeating it. Yeah. Well, that's that's why we're here. That's what my favorite mistake is all about. So, um, Lauren, thank you um, for being a guest and um, hope people will check out the website. And I'm, I'm sure you're going to help some of them or somebody. It's going to be an impact because you're going to help them with that that story that's uh, that's burning inside of them to bring it out and make it um, a success or help them make it a success. So, Lauren, thanks again. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Again, to learn more about Lauren and her company, Burning Soul Press, look for links in the show notes, or you can go to markgraben.com slash mistake 151. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.